We are in the midst of a sermon series on the book of Acts. We decided we were just gonna, we're gonna go through the whole thing. And we're in our second sort of mini series within the book of Acts right now, and it's called Margins. And so the idea is now at the point that we are in the spread of this new gospel, that it's spreading out beyond the main group of people who Jesus lived among, taught, and preached, the Jews in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. But when an idea goes out to the margins that started in the center of something, at some point there becomes a a conflict and a tension between the place where it originated and then the places that it spread to. And uh, last week... Robin uh, preached on part of that tension, a piece of that tension, and his sermon was called Jesus for the Unclean. And and we got to look at um, Peter uh, having to grapple with and wrestle with the idea that this Jesus, this Jewish Messiah, was actually for people that were not Jewish at all and that did not have to convert to his religion in order to take part in this new Jesus movement, this new experience and relationship with God. And so in that sermon, Robin was able to focus on what, what is that like if you're on that side of things? If you're, if you're somebody who uh, a, a religious group might consider unclean, unclean. And uh, this Sunday, we're going to look at the other side of that coin. What's it like for those of us who are clean, who are the ones at the center, who aren't at the margins? How do we deal with this sort of uh, situation where um, things might be spreading out faster and in ways that don't make sense to us and that scare us? And what does Jesus have to say to those of us on the inside, on the clean side of things. So um, if you, oh, I'm not gonna say that right now. Uh, Jesus for the clean, that's that's what we're gonna be discussing today. And and this is gonna be a sensitive and a delicate topic, and I hope that I can do it justice in the short amount of time that we have. Um, But also, I think we can still have a little bit of fun with this topic. So let me, let me uh, frame it up for you, how we're going to move through this. So um, I got four, four kind of hooks for us to hang our hats on as we move through this work. Uh, the first is faith for frauds, a leopard without spots. That's, that's the first, first place we're going. Then after that, we're going to move on to Jews in the pews, the circumcised among us. And thirdly, we're going to look at log-eyed liberal Christians, the Gentiles of today. And lastly, kites and the flyer. It's no fun without both. So if you're already confused, then you're right along with the people inside this passage right here. So let's get started. Faith for the frauds, a leopard without spots. So Peter, in this passage here, has... Now he's had this message from God, this vision, and now he's bringing it back to the Jewish people of which he belongs to who are followers of Jesus. At this point, there's not really any such thing as Christians. Understand this, Jesus was a Jew, culturally and religiously. 
he didn't actually start a new religion. He simply came as the Jewish Messiah and he did so without starting anything called Christianity. And so Peter comes back to these Jewish believers, these Jewish believers in Jesus, to tell them that, hey, um, all this stuff that's really important to us, all the things that makes a leopard a leopard, like the spots on it, um, I just got word from God that we're gonna have to let like a whole bunch of other people who might not agree with or um, work out their belief in God in the same kind of way. That was a hard message for him to have to sell. And here's what happens is, as we look at, um, so we look at this passage, let's, let's take a look at verse 11, I mean verse 1 in chapter 11, and see how this goes for Peter. He says, uh, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. The Gentiles are not Jews. That's who Gentiles are. Anybody who's not a Jew, most of us in here are probably Gentiles. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, and the circumcised believers, that means Jews, Jewish believers, criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. So uh, this is a really big deal. This is a really big deal for Peter Before he even gets to these guys, word's gotten out that Peter was sitting and hanging out with these Gentiles. Peter, a a good good Jewish man um, who is now one of the leaders of this movement, Uh, this movement of a Jesus Messiah-led Judaism. And... um, the Jewish people waiting for him there, they have a lot of problems with the fact that Peter was eating with Gentiles. And um, it almost looks like, it almost looks like that the, that the writer here, Luke, is painting these circumcised believers as xenophobic, that they are um, bigots or that they are, uh, that they are discriminating for no good reason here. And I wonder if there's anybody in our church here that's ever felt that way, that you were trying to hold to your convictions and somebody shouted at you, you're a bigot, you're, um, you're racist, you're um, any one of those epithets that you can think of. And you, you know what? You might be some of those things, but that might not be because of the convictions that you were holding to. So, I want to give a little bit of context for why the Jewish people might have thought this, that why when they came to receive Peter, before Peter could even speak, they said, look, dude, you've been eating with Gentiles. What are you thinking, man? Like, we don't, we don't want to hear what you have to say. Let's take a look at uh, the Torah, the, the books of the Bible that all Jews, regardless of their persuasion, would have held in extremely high regard. They're the first first five books in our Old Testament and see if there's any merit to what the, the Jewish, not yet Christians, uh, were having this problem with, with Peter. So let's look here. Leviticus 19, verses one through eight. And I'm gonna skip, skip a few verses for time's sake here. 
So this is a a, a passage they might have been concerned about. It says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And then down in verse four, it says, do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord, your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, it shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. So the food that was sacrificed to idols is the food that people ate. And you have here uh, Jewish people living um, in a diverse world, a diverse culture, where the food, if they sat down and just ate with anybody, it's very well and very likely that they were eating food that was sacrificed to idols. So they would be going directly against their convictions and what they believed that God had commanded them to do based on the scriptures here. And on top of that, um, there's precedence in the Torah, in the Old Testament, for what happens when these starts of, uh, types of things start to occur, that uh, the people of God start to adopt the practices of those surrounding people, that they start to worship these other gods and these other idols, that they start to, in fact, um, maybe even dip their toe into a little bit of child sacrifice, that was common among the other people of the day. Or maybe they start to set up a temple prostitution to to worship and honor and venerate these gods. That they uh, they start to mix and they start to go down this sort of slippery slope, if you will, um, and end up not worshiping the God of Israel, the God who gave them these commands. So what I would say is that these circumcised Jews, they, they had a point and they were worried about what Peter was in, engaging in and indulging. And they believed from a proper understanding of the word of God here that, that he was going against something that God had told them to do. And so they criticized him for this. And they thought there are some very serious things on the line right now. This Jewish leader is doing these things, eating with these people. In fact, it's close to blasphemy. And there's no subtext to what I'm saying here this morning. I'm gonna nail it right on the head as we go. So we've got these people, these circumcised Jews, and they're saying this. How does that relate to us? How does that relate to uh, this topic of Jesus for the clean? Uh, Very simply, in, in our situation that we are in right now, we would say uh, that these people, these Gentiles trying to come in are like leopards without spots. Their, their faith is fraudulent. Uh, some of us in the room, if we were there in that situation, that's where we would be. We would be on that side of the coin as well. And um, when uh, we think about the the idea of uh, Jews in the pews. Some of us are like that. We're, we're the Jews in the pews. We're the people that would fall on that side of things. So 
when these folks are considering what Peter's doing, they're not just thinking about meeting with Gentiles and eating with Gentiles. They're thinking about everything that they hold dear about their faith and and what God has promised them. And they're thinking that we're compromising. And we're compromising. And this guy, Peter, who says he follows Jesus, is doing things that we just know are wrong. Here's a quote uh, from uh, uh, someone who in America we know as a conservative pastor, who uh, his name's John Piper. And I think this quote really describes well kind of what these Jewish people were feeling at the time. It's on the screen here. It says, if you alter or obscure the biblical portrait of God in order to attract converts, you don't get converts to God, you get converts to an illusion. This is not evangelism, but deception. So, um, here's the thing. Some of us in this church uh, are more conservative than others. Some of us are, are what we would consider more liberal than others. And sometimes, because at our church, we're trying to have a conversation between those two groups, uh, sometimes we are really, really good at making space for people in process and who are very uh, uh, liberal-minded, and there's not much left for the conservative-thinking people here in our church. Now, you can go to any other church, and it's probably the exact opposite. But what I want to say here is um, those conservative people, they look at the Word of God, and they're just simply trying to obey it as best as they can from the words that they see on the page. That's what we, I'm going to use the word we for both of these sides because I am on both of these sides myself. We are simply trying to just obey the words of God on the page. That's what we believe that those words are. And sometimes, either overtly or not, there can be criticism for that inside and out, outside of the church. Criticism like, well, if you really understood this idea, if you really, if you really understood science, you'd never say you believed in a literal six-day creation. Or um, that just because it says this word on the page just like that, you can't take that and grab that from another place and, and do something else with it. Um, you've got to study the context. You have to know the historical context of all of these things. Um, If you thought like I thought, um, then you wouldn't have to subscribe to all these gender norms or uh, orientations. Um, If uh, Speaking as a a liberal to the conservative Christian, um, those types of things. That don't you see that women can lead just like men There's women presidents in the world right now. And the conservative person is saying, yeah, but God's word, you're you're altering the description of who God is. And here's here's what I want to say. We need conservative people in our church, just like we need liberal people in our church. Um, For instance, some of the best tithers are conservative people. Um, Some of the people who are the most responsible in their lives 
are conservative people. If you had to choose between an extremely liberal-minded young person or a very fiscally conservative person who is maybe also young, um, who would you choose to watch your child? No, just a question. Somebody who said, it's all the limits are possible and there's at least 50 different um, uh, gender designations or identities that are all equally valid or somebody who said, you know, I'm not so sure about that and I, I look at the word of God and I, I see basically two, uh, who would you have to watch your children? And the question's gonna be the answer different for different people. So this idea next, as we look through this passage of the log-eyed liberal Christians, might fit into a category of some of, some of the, those throwing the stones at the more conservative folks and saying those types of things like, you're too narrow-minded, you're not open-minded enough, and you're, you're oppressing other people by your conservative values and ideas. Um, and here's the problem with that, is we liberal Christians... When we do those types of things, we're saying, hey, the way, the way to look at it is that Jesus is really liberal and he's an open-minded person. And if you just understood the scriptures, the way that we see them, the right way, the smart way, the intelligent way, then you would come to see the truth of that. And when we liberal Christians do that, guess what we're doing? The exact same thing we're accusing the conservative Christians of doing. If you don't see it my way, you're wrong. So that's our playing field here in America. That's our playing field in the American church. And nine, 99 out of 100 times, probably less than that, probably 999 times out of 1,000, what happens is the liberal Christians go over here and the conservative Christians go over there and they shout and lob at each other from a comfortable distance doing what they think is best. I don't think that's a good way to do it. And if you're here, you probably don't think that either. But I think for today, we need to consider that if we are finding ourselves on that liberal side, that there are important ways that we need to relate to our more conservative brothers and sisters and to have more grace and to have more patience with them. And I'm not even, I'm not even responding to any specific situations necessarily that exist right now in our church, um, but uh, some, of it's an, some of it's anticipation, some of it's the internet, some of it's um, some of the, the underlying tones that we're going to have to address and deal with as a church from time to time. And I think the rewards from that will be amazing because this is actually the situation going on right now in the early church. Get this. Jesus was a Jew and he brought about this new religious movement. Do we still have Jewish people today? Yes, we do. And do many of those people profess and proclaim Christ? No, they don't. Why? 
because they didn't buy what Peter said here. They didn't buy what Paul said. They said, no, this is the word of God and it speaks for itself and you're wrong. And Jesus isn't who he says he was. And so they stayed distinct until later on in chapter 11 here, we see the first Greek church, the first Gentile church forms in a place called Antioch. And guess what they were called for the first time there that we know of? Christians. And so you had two people saying they believed, two groups of people saying they believed in the same God and ended up with two different religions, not denominations, religions. So there's a lot to lose here and there's a lot to gain. So some of us right now, we're in the pews. We're the Jews. We're the Jews in this situation, holding tight, holding fast to what we know is true and right. Some of us are the Gentiles. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna work together? Are we gonna just say they don't get it to each other and move on? Or are we gonna work it out? Let's see what Peter did. Verse uh, four and five. In response to the criticism, Peter said, uh, or starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. And he goes on, he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet and so on and so forth. So he begins to explain and outline where this position came from, how he was able to come to this conclusion. And to my progressive or liberal brothers and sisters, I would say, you need to do that. You don't just write somebody off and tell them they're a bigot. You don't just write off the conservative brothers and sisters say you're just not smart enough to look at the critical uh, textual criticism of this. Can't you see by the way that society is moving and the open-mindedness of people that you can't stick to these ancient ideas of things anymore? How did you come to that conclusion, liberal Christian? Where did you come from to get there? Explain it, talk about it. Don't just shout it across the aisle or the pew. We gotta have conversations. That's what Peter's doing here. He's modeling for us what we need to do as a church. Here's why this is hard. Um, as human beings, we want this thing all the time. We want this thing called cognitive equilibrium. Cognitive equilibrium. We want the world, what we see outside and hear outside to go with what we already believe inside. All human beings wanna do that. When we encounter something that doesn't fit into what's already inside of us, what we believe, think, and feel about how the world works, we go into disequilibrium. We get unbalanced and we wanna get away from that really fast. Um, I have a, something to read about that, but I'm, I'm gonna skip that. Um, there's, there's, there's basically two options when our equilibrium, our balance gets thrown off. We can assimilate or we can accommodate. Assimilate means something like this. If I'm a, a liberal Christian and I'm talking to a conservative and they say, well, the word of God says this, then I assimilate it into what I already believe. Yeah, you just don't get it. 
and you're not thinking about anybody but yourself and you're privileged and you're this and that. And so of course you're coming to that conclusion and I shut down the conversation with something, something quick and nasty. Or the other option is accommodation. I, as a liberal Christian, am hearing from my conservative brother, and I know that my conservative brother or sister loves God and wants to see the kingdom of God come to fruition in this world. And even though what I'm hearing disagrees what I think about that, I wanna continue to listen. I wanna say something like, wow, I see it differently. Tell me more. Or an even better phrase, I don't know. Let's practice saying that all together. I don't know. That's probably one of the first times a pastor has led a group of people in a church to say that. You know what you need when you start to have those kind of conversations? You know what you have to have that you don't necessarily have to have in those other situations? A lot of faith, a lot of hope, and a lot of love. You're gonna need all three of those things. You might find God in the midst of that. So, cognitive equilibrium, you're not always gonna have that here. As Robin has said a few times recently, nobody gets to be fully happy at Christ City Church. <laughs> that's because you're gonna come and encounter information that's gonna throw you and throw your equilibrium off, your balance off. And when that happens, that is the time when we get to fall into the arms of faith. Faith in a God that's bigger than any one perspective on the Bible, than any one Christian leader who shouts out a message or writes the most books on the one right way to see this. Look, there, there's thousands of denominations, thousands. So you can go pick one. You can go find one that, that doesn't check off any disequilibrium. You can find it. We got the internet. You could do it fast. But if I were you, I'd stay here. Because I think we have a unique opportunity here. I think we have an opportunity to see God in ways that aren't always as common. Um, kites and flyers, kites and flyers. Anybody ever flown a kite in here? The people that raise their hand are the people that I'd hang out with on the weekend. <laughs> if you've flown a kite, you know how to have fun. If you've ever taken the time to fly a kite in your life, that means you don't take yourself too seriously, especially if you've done it as an adult. And when you fly a kite, you need two things, a person and a kite. If you don't have a person, then the kite just floats off into the distance. And that's not very fun. But if you don't have a kite, all you've got is a person standing there. And that's not very fun either, especially if your plan was to fly a kite. What I'm gonna suggest to you is that a more conservative Christian is kind of like that person standing on the ground. 
A more liberal Christian is kind of like that kite floating in the wind. The liberal person has all these ideas and creative expressions and they're flowing all through the wind. And the conservative person holds you from flying off into oblivion. So we need both to have fun. I found myself on every side of that coin in my adult life. Every side of that coin possible. We need both of these people. We, we, in fact, we practice both of these things ourselves. We actually practice both of, both of these things ourselves. And I wanna show you in this passage here, the part that I read, how this is working with Peter and the other Jewish people in, the, in uh, verses 13 through 18. Let's look at that together. In verse 13, he says... And he's talking about this Gentile named Cornelius. That's who Peter's talking about that we talked about last week. Go back and listen to that message if you weren't there. Um, He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa from Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So Peter's recalling this story of Cornelius and how he came. And then in verse 15, it says, Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. What we see here with the kites and flyers is is three things. It was three things that allowed them to find common ground, to find a new equilibrium based on what was happening there. One thing was the Holy Spirit. It was the present and active working and moving of God. This Bible is a means to understand and experience God, but it is not God. And both of these groups recognize that, that the Holy Spirit was at work. The second thing was Jesus. Peter remembered the words of Jesus. That was how Peter was able to start to make sense is everything that he had known became centered around the person and the words and the understandings of Jesus. And the third thing was experience. He had an experience where somebody who he thought was on the outside, separate from God, who came to him and said, God has visited me and spoke to me and my life doesn't look like your life. And I'm not following all the same things that you're following. So there were three things there. There was experience, there was Jesus, and there was the Holy Spirit. There were those three things happening. I think that's the opportunity before us. I think as a church, that if we center what we're doing around our experiences, uh uh-oh, but the words of Jesus and the expectancy of the presence of the Spirit of God working in and among us, I think we can do it. I think that we can experience something that many people 
think that will only happen on the other side of heaven, on the other side of creation. I think that we can learn so much from each other. Everybody's gonna see how much fun we're having. We're gonna be flying that kite, baby. (laughs) And they're gonna wanna join in. They're gonna see something different. You see, Peter, I'm sure, had this nagging feeling all the time as a good Jew that everybody else was supposed to be a part of this. Everybody else was supposed to have access to God. How could that not be? But how? We have to protect our families. We have to protect our way of seeing things, our borders, our parameters for the way God told us life should be. So what do we do? I guess we just have to stay where we are. But then he has a vision from God and God opened it up. And then once he was open to what he received from God, that experience of the Holy Spirit working that he received from God, then he met somebody else with a similar experience who was totally different from him. I think somewhere in the Bible it says something about quenching the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many times you and I, us conservative, us liberal Christians, have quenched the Holy Spirit because we were so protective of our little equilibrium that we could not see the work of God in our midst. We passed it right by. And if we could have, we would have made two different religions. Worshiping the same God. None of this is hypothetical. It's the history of the church. It's the history of people who believe in the same God as us. Or really, I should say it this way, we believe in the same God as them. A lot of this, for us as Protestants, it comes down to scripture. It comes down to two things that uh, a, a man named Luther emphasized 500 plus years ago, or maybe six, five, 500 plus years ago. Um, the priesthood of all believers and the word of God alone. And so everybody started to get their own Bible technologically, not a bad thing at all, and everybody had their own opinion. So that's what we're gonna have to work out together. That's what we're gonna have to continue to work out day in and day out. As all of us got our own Bibles and we all got our own opinions and we all have things that we've grown up being taught about God and the Bible, especially the Bible because we're Protestants in here. But here at Christ City Church, we believe that God is not trapped in that book and he's not limited by science but that his Holy Spirit is here working among us. And that if we bring our experiences to one another and we center what we're doing around the person and the presence of Jesus, then we can see something beautiful. We can see a place where we can belong and a place where we can know God. And our world is hungry for a place like that. Let's be that place, Christ City. Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for your spirit, for your word, for your people.
thank you for your presence here with us. I pray that we have the courage to um, continue on this journey, on this path as a people. I pray that you would give us faith, hope, and love in such abundance that all of us are awed and shocked and surprised and amazed. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.